You can have a seat. <clears throat> well, ev- hey, everybody, we, um, we often talk a lot here at our church here at New Denver about uh, following Jesus, and that's because we believe that following Jesus leads to the kind of life that we were all created and meant to live. It leads to a life of purpose, of meaning, of joy. It leads to a life of being known and being loved. It leads to a life that radiates outside of ourselves. It's not just about us, but it's about the people around us and even about making this world the place it was meant to be. And Jesus actually calls this the abundant life. Or even, he says, the eternal life. And he says, if you follow me, I can help you live and experience this abundant life or this eternal life. But as we all know, there are obstacles, right? There are things that get in our way. There are uh, barriers, things that trip us up, things that keep us from truly uh, following Jesus, that keep us from truly experiencing the life that he wants to give us. And one of these obstacles is very subtle and yet very powerful. It's subtle because it's just a part of the fabric of all of our lives. And because of that, um, it's elusive to our senses, right? It's elusive for us even seeing it or understanding it. In fact, when we start talking about it today, you're going to probably think, actually, that's not really a barrier for me. That's not an obstacle. I mean, there's other things that, are, that make it hard for me or that trip me up from following Jesus, but that one doesn't really apply to me. But I would suggest it's probably one of the biggest obstacles for most, if not all of us in the room. Now, it's not an obstacle that keeps us from coming to church. It's not an obstacle that keeps us from praying. It's not an obstacle that keeps us from reading the Bible. It's not an obstacle that keeps us from doing a lot of the outward things that we associate with faith. But it is one of the biggest obstacles that we are often not aware of that keeps us from actually following Jesus in our lives and receiving and experiencing the life that he has for us. So we're going to read a story today about a guy who figured this out in an encounter with Jesus. And the encounter that he has with Jesus is actually unlike all of the other encounters that Jesus has with people. So here's what it says, starting in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and he fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So we learn a few things about this guy right off the bat. Uh, We learn that he knows something about Jesus, right? He he knows who Jesus is, or he has some respect or some admiration for Jesus. Uh, Perhaps he's heard Jesus teach because he calls him good teacher. Perhaps he's been in the crowds. Perhaps he's been following at a distance. Maybe he's seen Jesus do some sort of of healing um, or something like that. But, But he has some awareness of who Jesus is. We also see that he's really eager, It says he runs up to Jesus. He doesn't walk. He doesn't sort of just mosey up. Like he runs to Jesus. And then when he gets there, it says he falls on his knees before Jesus because he has this question. And it's like a burning question. It's it's this burning need. And maybe it's something he's been carrying for a while. But he finally has this chance. He has this opportunity to ask Jesus the question. And he asks him, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life. And just in the way that he frames the question, we also learn something else about him. This is a guy who's probably a doer, 
right? He's, a, he's got a list of things. He likes to check things off of his list. He's an action guy. So he's saying, what is it that I need to do? Notice he's not saying, what do I need to believe? What do I need to understand? What do I need to know? What do I need to think about? What do I need to consider? He says, what do I actually need to do? And maybe that's because he's done all that he knows how to do. Maybe he feels like he's missing something. Maybe he keeps doing everything he knows what to do to experience the life that Jesus is talking about, but it feels like he's still not experiencing it. It feels like something is still just missing in his life. Maybe he lays in bed every night and he just thinks like something is missing. And so he's asking Jesus, what am I missing? What do I still need to do? Jesus responds, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. So uh, think about this for a second. Jesus gets the perfect question, right? This guy says, what do I need to do? I mean, this is like a softball for Jesus, right? He could, he could hit this one out of the park. And some of us come from um, maybe religious or church traditions where we've heard this question and we have heard very formulaic nice, neat, packaged answers to this question. So we're expecting Jesus to give a very nice and neat and, and formulaic answer to this question, but he doesn't do that. He actually asks a question back. And, and the question back, basically, I think it's just a way of Jesus letting this guy know, hey, it sounds like you're asking a good question. Why are you asking that of me? It sounds like you're looking for God's perspective on this. And maybe you're thinking that I can offer you God's perspective. So Jesus doesn't answer the question immediately. He just asks the question back. But then look at what he says. He says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Again, this is not the answer we would expect Jesus to give, right? Because basically the guy says, what do I need to do? And Jesus just gives him a list of rules, and we all recognize these rules, right? These come straight from the Ten Commandments. This is straight from the, the Old Testament law, and it's almost as if Jesus is saying, you want to inherit eternal life? Here's what you need to do. Let me give you the list, and let me make sure you've done all of the things on the list, which honestly kind of feels like the wrong answer, doesn't it? I mean, I read this and I think, is Jesus just having a bad day? Was he off his game? Did he not get much sleep that night? Like maybe Jesus is actually a legalistic, rule-keeping Pharisee underneath. And we always thought he was the rebel, but he's not. He's all about the list and he's all about the rules. But I think Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. I think he starts listing all of the commandments because he knows that part of the purpose of the Old Testament law and the Old Testament commandments was to help people see that they just couldn't do everything right. That none of us are perfect. That there are plenty of times where we don't honor our parents. There are plenty of times where we don't tell the truth. There are plenty of times where we take advantage of other people. And that in realizing that, we would all come to the conclusion and the recognition that what we really need is God's grace and his forgiveness, and his transformation in our lives. And so maybe Jesus sees this guy has not figured that out yet, 
and he's still just focused on what he has to do. He's focused on keeping all the rules. So I'll just start there with him, right? I'll just, I'll just start with that desire. And so Jesus starts listing all of the rules. And it's like Jesus says, you know the rules, right? Do not murder, do not commit adultery. Don't. And it's almost like the guy is saying like, yeah, yeah, done that, done that. I'm good on that one. And Jesus gets to the fifth or sixth commandment and the guy interrupts him and he says this, teacher, he declares, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Like, I know the list, Jesus. I am a good Jewish boy. I have read the list. I know the list. I've been following and keeping the rules my entire life. And it's almost like he's saying, if eternal life, if the life that you're talking about and the life that I'm longing to experience, if it's found in keeping the list, I'm good. Like, I've been doing this my whole life, but something tells me there's more to it than that. Something tells me that I'm, I'm missing something. Something tells me that there's something else I need to do. So what do I need to do? And look at how Jesus responds. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. That's huge. Like Jesus is going to have something to say in a second, but let's not skip to that too quickly. Jesus looks at this guy, and he doesn't condemn him. He doesn't criticize him. He doesn't correct him. He's not disappointed in him. It just says he looks at him and he loves him. And this is a guy who's he's just focused on all the rules. He's a little prideful and arrogant about it, right? I mean, there's probably everybody else is standing around, and he's like, I'm good. I've done, I, I have done all these things. And Jesus is like, really? Do you really think you're perfect at this? In fact, he's probably being dishonest. There's no way he's kept all the rules perfectly. And Jesus knows he hasn't kept all the rules perfectly. If I was Jesus, I would point that out. I'd be like, dude, dishonest. You're breaking the rules in what you're saying right now. But I'm not Jesus. And Jesus is way nicer. And Jesus looks at this guy, and it just says... He loves him. Which is amazing for all of us. I mean, if you're here today and maybe you'd say, like, I am failing miserably at keeping all of the rules. Jesus looks at you and he just loves you. Or maybe you're here today and you're more like this guy and you're like, I I'm actually pretty good at keeping the rules. Maybe you're a perfectionist. Maybe there's even a little bit of pride in you. And maybe you even know that about yourself. Jesus looks at you and he loves you for exactly who you are. But then Jesus says this, one thing you lack. In other words, I love your passion. I love your energy. I love your desire to do all of the right things. But there is one thing you're lacking. And the word that Jesus uses for lack here, it's actually the same word that the Apostle Paul is going to use in the book of Romans when he says, everybody has fallen short. Meaning like there's one, there's one thing, there's one area of your life where you're falling short. There's one area where, where something is missing, right? There's one area where you're lacking. And so I'm going to tell you what it is, and then I'm actually going to give you a chance to do it. Like, I'm going to tell you the one thing that you haven't done, and then right here, right now, in this moment, I'm going to give you a chance to actually do it so that you can experience the life that you are seeking. And here it is. Jesus says, go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, I read this story, and I think, wait a second. The guy just asked, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, you told him that's the answer. Like, that's what he has to do. Like, that is the one thing that someone has to do to not sure that's the right answer, Jesus, right? It just doesn't feel like that's what... But here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus knows this guy's focused on the rules. And so Jesus says, okay, let's get to the heart of the rules. Because actually there was one day, different story, different guy, but another guy who is also focused on rules comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I know there's a whole bunch of rules in the Old Testament that we're all supposed to follow. If you could tell me what the most important rule is, what is it? If you could just summarize all the rules with one rule, what is it? Jesus is like, that's a great question. I can do that. Yeah, it's easy. Love God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And actually, there's a second. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Those two things. Everything else hangs on these two things. All of the other rules, all of the other commandments, all of the other teaching in the Bible, it just fleshes out and shows you how to live out putting God first in your life, loving Him, and then loving other people. And so uh, Jesus uh, sees this guy who says he's done all of the rules, he's been living out all of the rules in his whole life, and Jesus uh, realizes there's one area of his life where he's not actually living out the heart of the rules. There's one area of his life where he's not actually putting God first and he's not really loving other people. And so Jesus basically says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just make a trade. I want you to take all the stuff you have and I want you to sell it all. And then I want you to give all the money away and then I want you to come follow me. And what you will get in return is the thing you're longing for, eternal life. And even better than that, you will get heavenly treasure like I'm asking you to take your earthly treasure and just let go of it and then you will get heavenly eternal treasure that's better than anything you could ever imagine in return and if this guy has really been keeping the rules his whole life and if the rules are really about putting God first and loving other people then this actually shouldn't be that difficult this actually shouldn't be that hard. That letting go of your stuff, stuff that you're going to have to let go of one day anyways, stuff that actually has no enduring value, so that you can in return receive eternal life, abundant life, the thing you're longing for, and treasure in heaven that will last forever, kind of feels like a no-brainer. And look at how the man responds. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad. Because he didn't really believe what Jesus was saying? No. He went away sad because he didn't understand what Jesus was asking? No. He, he went away sad because he thought maybe Jesus was lying. Or maybe Jesus wasn't trustworthy. No. It says he went away sad because he had great wealth. See, the guy just had a lot of money. He had a lot of possessions. The word wealth here it sort of includes all those things. 
he just had a lot of stuff. And he just couldn't let go of it. And, and do you know what the implication is here? The implication is if the man didn't have a lot of stuff, it wouldn't have been really hard to give away. That the thing that kept him from following Jesus, the thing that actually kept him from experiencing the life that Jesus wanted him to experience was that he just had too much stuff. Right? It wasn't that he didn't think Jesus was a good man. It wasn't that he didn't think Jesus was worthy to follow. It wasn't that he didn't think Jesus could help him with his questions or anything like that. The issue was not belief. It's not trust. It's not theology. It's not knowledge. It's not understanding. The problem was literally the guy just had too much stuff. And the more stuff you have, the harder it is to follow Jesus. Because when any of us start following Jesus, basically what Jesus is asking us to do is to let go of our agendas, to let go of our plans, to let go of our dreams, and even to let go of our stuff so that we can follow him and we can pursue his agenda, his plans, his dreams, and yes, receive the eternal riches and stuff that he has to offer. And his plans and his dreams and his treasure is way better than anything we could ever find for ourselves. But if you spend a whole lot of time building your own dreams and constructing your own plans and amassing your own wealth, it's really hard to let go of any of it. And so, in fact, as this man is walking away, Jesus actually uses the opportunity to talk to his disciples about this. He says this, Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. We don't know why they were amazed. Maybe they were sort of shocked. Maybe they weren't sure they understood what Jesus was saying. Maybe for some of them, they knew some priests and some Pharisees and some religious leaders that were actually quite wealthy. And for them, they were the most righteous people they knew. They were the people that God loved the most. And so this just didn't make any sense. And so Jesus actually doubles down and he says this. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle which is basically impossible, right? <laughs> then for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, it's virtually impossible if you're wealthy to enter, to engage, to embrace, to participate in God's kingdom. Now, <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus would later say, it's not impossible. All things are possible with God. <laughs> but he's pretty clear here. It's really, 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 really hard. Like it's really, really hard if you have a whole lot of stuff to truly follow Jesus and experience the life in the kingdom that he has to offer you. And Jesus is speaking to every single one of us today. Jesus is speaking about every single one of us. Right? Before any of us says, well, I'm not rich. I'm not wealthy. Right? 
This doesn't really apply to me. This is not an issue. I wish it was an issue for me. It's not really an issue for me. The truth is, compared to the rest of the world, every single one of us is wealthy. Right? The truth is, compared to our friends that live down in Guatemala, we have a lot, a lot of stuff. Now, you can use any criteria you want to measure how much stuff we have or how wealthy we are, but I would be willing to guess that probably every single one of us is in the top 5%, maybe the top 1% or 2% compared to everyone else in the world. We're all rich. Which means Jesus is talking to us and he's talking about us, which means we just have to ask this question. Why would it be so hard to follow Jesus when you have a lot of stuff? Right? I mean, isn't that the question? Why would it be so hard to follow Jesus if you have a lot of stuff? Let me give you three reasons real quick. Number one, uh, the more you have, the more you see it as mine. The more money you make, the more stuff you acquire, the more you begin to think of it as mine. It's my stuff. It's, it's my money. I can do whatever I want with it. That's the myth of mine. That's the myth of ownership we've been talking about. You think and I think, well, I worked for it. I earned it. I deserve it. right? And at some level, yes, that's partly true. But we also forget that God gave us everything that we have. He didn't walk up to you and give it to you, literally. But God blessed you with your talents. God gave you the opportunities you have. God opened the doors that have been opened for you. God put you in the family that you grew up in and the blessings that you had. The amazing gifts and opportunities that have been given to you in your life, they all came from God. And somehow, when you just don't have very much, the temptation is not as strong to believe that it's all mine. But the more you make, the more you have, the more you acquire, the more you accumulate, the easier it is to forget. It's not really mine. It's all just given to me by God. I'm not really an owner of any of this. I'm just a steward managing all that God has given me. Number two, the more you have, the less you give away. Now, you would think it would be the opposite, right? All of us think, if I just had more money, I would give so much more away, right? If I, if I made more, I would be more generous. The reason that I'm not as generous as I want to be or as I could be is because I just don't have enough to be generous with. We've all done that you know, thing, if I won the lottery, if I was given $10 million, I would give to this and this and this, and I would do all those things. We all think that, but guess what? It's not really true. The statistics show us that the people who have more actually give away less. Look at these statistics. If you make under $25,000 a year, you give away about 12% of your income. If you make between twenty-five dollars and $50,000, you give away about 5% of your income. If you make between fifty and hundred thousand, you give away about three percent, and if you make more than hundred thousand, you give away about two percent. Now these are averages, right? There are exceptions, but on the whole, the more you have, the less you give away. The more you have, the harder it is to let go of what you do have. Number three, the more you have, the less of an eternal perspective you have. 
right? Because who wants to think about eternity when I've created everything I need right here and right now? Who wants heavenly treasure when I've got plenty of earthly treasure in my life to enjoy right now? Who longs for God's kingdom, right, to come into this world if I've created my own really comfortable kingdom right here and right now? But again, you go visit our friends down in Guatemala and you see people with an eternal perspective. And in large part, it's just because they don't have as much stuff that we do. And that doesn't mean they're happier. That doesn't mean they're better people. That doesn't mean we're bad people because we have a lot of stuff. It just means they're a whole lot less focused on what the world has to offer right here and now. And they're a whole lot less focused in their own little kingdom. And they are a whole lot more excited about the kingdom and the treasure and the wealth and the riches that God has to offer them. And you go back to the story with this guy who's basically like all of us. And he had all of this stuff, right? And Jesus offers him eternal and abundant life, the life that he was made to live, a life that would have ultimate purpose and ultimate perspective. And he walked away. He was sad, and he just walked away from Jesus. He was a religious guy who had read the Bible and gone to church every Sunday his whole life, and he decided not to follow Jesus. Now, I don't know if any of us are in danger of actually literally just walking away from Jesus, right? Saying, Jesus, I'm not interested in anything you have to offer. You wouldn't be here today if that was the case. But I would suggest that we are all in danger of not really following Jesus of not really experiencing the life that he has to offer us. And it's simply because we have a lot of stuff. So what do we do about that? Well, that's where we're going to pick up this whole series next Sunday. We're going to get really practical for the last three weeks. We've sort of been big picture, big level. But next week, we're going to get really practical, and we're going to talk about some very hands-on ways where we can break through the myth of ownership, and we can begin to follow Jesus with all of the stuff that he has given us. But today, I want to leave you with just a few questions for you to think about. What if we took this danger seriously? What if all of the stuff that we keep acquiring that we think will make us happier isn't actually making us happier, but even greater, it's actually keeping us from the life that Jesus has to offer us? And here's a big one. What if this story we just read, it's actually about you and me? What if we are in this story and we're faced with the question, do we really want to follow Jesus And do we really want to experience the life that he has to offer? Let me pray for us. God, we do um, come to you today open to what you might show us or teach us or say to us or whisper to us.
through this story. God, we, we do have the desire to embrace and receive and live the life that you made us to live. And yet we know there are a lot of ways that we trip up or that we don't realize we're keeping ourselves from experiencing that. And so I pray that you would give us the faith to trust in you and that you would give us the eyes to see what you actually are offering us, the life that you have for us. I pray this in your name. Amen.